hello, I'm Missy Coffey, the PI for EC DataWorks, and over the last decade, only a handful of states have implemented an EC IDS. The individuals who've had led those systems have been so gracious to share their lessons learned with states just starting the journey. We're always so excited, though, when we get a chance to learn about a new state joining the conversation. The states here have a fresh perspective and provide insight into how the process is working and how the process has evolved over the last decade. So you can imagine my excitement when I learned about the ECIDS development in, in Virginia. So in today's episode, we are going to hear more about how the team has been doing this work, how they're implementing the early childhood integrated data system, and what they've learned along their journey. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Aaron Carroll and Anita McGinty. Aaron is the Director of Early Childhood with the Virginia Department of Education. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Missy. So glad to be here. And she's also joined by Anita, who is a research associate professor with the School of Education and Human Development at the University of Virginia. Thanks for joining, Anita. Thanks, Missy. I'm so glad to be here. So to get started today, can you talk to us a little bit about why Virginia decided this was the right time to integrate early childhood data in your state? Absolutely. Um, I'll be happy to speak to that a little bit. So the integration of early childhood data has been really central to our entire preschool development grant project. So uh, we started this as one of the core projects of our initial PDG grant. We started working very closely with Anita and her team at UVA right off the bat, and we're able to build what we call Link B5, which is the name of our early childhood data system. Under a very aggressive timeline, in about uh, six months of time, we were able to really get something mapped out and launched for our first uh, cohort of community pilots. We integrated this into our initial work plan uh, right off the bat because we really knew as we looked at our vision, as we looked at what we wanted to accomplish through the grant, that having a central and unified place to store and collect data for all of our Birth to Five programs was going to be central to achieving all of our goals. So I, I have been thrilled to be part of this type of partnership as a researcher at a university. This type of data integration project and a, and a partnership effort with our team as a research team and the state's interest in integrated data has been a great opportunity for us to, to put the idea of how you use data, the questions that can be answered when you integrate data, and then the efforts of unifying in the state interest in bringing together their systems. So we've enjoyed this partnership and, and find it a great space for researchers, education researchers who are interested in these type of partnership efforts and for impact. Um, so I've been thrilled to be part of this work. That's great. And this partnership is a really great model. So I'm glad that you all are here today to share a little bit more about that. And, and part of what you just mentioned, Anita, was about impact. And so I'd love to hear from you all about Really, why did Virginia need an ECIDS, right? What did you hope to achieve by having the Link B5 system? Yeah, so Virginia's PDG grant is focused on supporting a unified Birth to Five system. So really supporting quality and access across all program types. When we began that work of our eventual plan by the final year of PDG, which is to engage every single publicly funded Birth to Five provider in our state, we knew that we did not have a system in place that could collect all of the information that we needed to be able to support quality and access, our two main goals. So Link B5 was really an essential 
part of our project to launch right off the bat. Uh, the purpose of Link B5 is to catalog, collect, maintain accurate, up-to-date information on all of our program types, ranging from the community down to the actual program. I will add, you know, Link B5 is really just one of our important uh, strategies for an integrated data system in Virginia. We have some broader projects through the Virginia Longitudinal Data System uh, that will really be the full component of getting us to have a fully integrated data system. This is really our collection point for early childhood programs. I think that's a great framing and a great positioning of this Link B5 work within the other efforts the state is doing on um, a broader set of integrated data. I think that the things that Aaron touched on that I would say are so central is the ability to get very granular data all the way down to a classroom level when you're representing a broad set of users as happens when you're trying to unify the various providers of early childhood in a community and across the state. So this system was set up to really try to represent the varied levels of entities within that landscape. And that's one piece of how this is supporting the state in a broader way. Well, and that can be a really hard task when there's so many different types of providers at so many different levels. So can you talk a little bit about your stakeholders and how you've gone about engaging them in this process? Sure, I can start with that. The PDG grant is the mechanism to, to bring communities together who want to work on a variety of things uh, within that grant that are about unifying, strengthening quality and access. So Link B5 flows within that broader project context. And right now, I believe it's about 42% of the geography, so of the communities or school divisions in the state that have come through the PDG project. And engagement is a cascading model. So the project has, uh, each community has its own lead or lead agency and networks within that to the sites and does the recruiting. And so we are able to bring that whole structure as an outreach mechanism to, to the field and rolling this out. And that's been uh, incredibly important and, again, approached as a, very much as a partnership model of this work down to the local level. So that has been an incredibly and powerful structure for this type of engagement. So what strategies, Anita, have been effective in engaging using this cascading model? So that's one, it sounds like that's kind of the overarching flow of the way the communications happen. Are there strategies within that that other states might be able to learn from there? Yes, absolutely. So within that model of, of the network and the outreach network, our team really has approached this idea of the Link B5 system as both a data collection tool and also a behavior change that needed to make its way through the communities, through the providers. And I think that lens has guided our work and has been an effective um, mindset when we think about particular strategies. From that lens, then, the idea of having a variety of ways for people to ask questions, to find information, to give input, and to give feedback, you know, the concept of an open channel was really important. So we have, for example, a hotline that is staffed and sort of leading up the three to five weeks leading up to the actual data collection window and then through the data collection window and after it's it's really open all the time and then even after that in, in sort of downtimes it's open and available 
a certain amount of hours each day. And it can be an email, it can be a chat, it can be an actual phone call. We built a system with the capacity to have administrator views so those folks on the hotline or on the support can really kind of see what's as you would in a, in a tech support type uh, environment. They can see this, what other users are seeing and are able to help them in that way. But also the outreach has printable materials. It has things they can download. There's a space they know on the web that they can go and get things. And I think the other part of it is part of the outreach and training and support has not just been about tech support. We've built, we build a series of outreach tools that begins really at the why, why are we doing this, you know, and takes all the way through kind of a very step-by-step, this is what will happen next. So let's talk about that. And then we connect again on the next webinar a few weeks later. And now this is what's happening next. So it's a very intentional process for both rollout and data collection each year. And it grounds them in the reason for the work. And then there's a whole host of choices they have in terms of tech support. I would just add, I think that uh, the work that Link B5 has done to engage stakeholders is really probably the most notable success that we have had in this project coming from the state perspective, knowing that we were going to be engaging program leads in all program types, teachers in all program types, understanding the really diverse level of comfort with technology and even the concept of sharing their information with the state. We really emphasized this when we started this partnership with Anita's team and have been pretty blown away at how responsive the community programs have been, ranging from school teachers down to family day home owner and operators, really engaging and persisting at completing their profile and uh, interacting with the Link B5 system. I think this is really a reflection of the responsiveness of Anita's team and the persistence in attending weekly office hours in getting in the car and having spaghetti dinners in, you know, whatever, whatever needs to be done, really getting out there and familiarizing people with what could feel like a pretty scary ask. Now that's great. And it sounds like that's a, it's a very intensive support system to initially. And so that is a really important part. And when you say they, it sounds like it's the teachers, it's the direct providers, right, that you're working with. So that kind of goes to the community level information that you are all talking about. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the users themselves. What do they, what will they get back from doing all this work and, and submitting their data? Yeah, that's a great question. And in the immediate very first pilot data collection, we did not build a series of reports or a series of data exports because you want the information to feel actionable and to be reflected back in something that you're going to build into your technology. You have to really understand what they want to see and how they want to use the data. And that's something that needs to needed to evolve and still needs to evolve. But what we would do is always outside of the technology, have a team ready to reflect back some of the most important information at the time, information on who completed it, how complete are you, who entered the system, how was the success of what you've just engaged in. And so we were able to create reports outside of the system, share them back in sessions with the communities that involve site leaders and other attendees, and then continue to talk about it. 
that turned then into year two, us being able to build a dashboard into the system that would give that information to them at their fingertips and allow them also just to keep track of the process of data collection during the window, take an increased ownership over it, be able to reflect back. That sounds really exciting, Anita. And is that a, how frequently is this information going to be updated going forward? I think initially we were using Link B5 as a system to really help us understand the scope and the details of who's out there, what programs need, what their characteristics are, what the landscape of Virginia even looks like, birth of five, which of course seems like something one should already know sitting at the state level. But as we all know, in early childhood, that's not often the case. As we've really evolved where we're headed as a state, Link B5 is now also evolving to support that. Um, so one big project that Virginia is accomplishing through the PDG grant is the launch of a non-optional quality measurement and improvement system that will be uh, required for all programs by 2023. Link B5 is the centerpiece of that quality measurement and improvement system. So this system is where we're collecting all of the information for that quality rating measure. It's where we're collecting class observations. It's how we're understanding who even needs a quality rating and improvement system interface to begin with. So the, the functionality and the need for the system has continued to evolve. And the, the Link B5 team, those working with Anita, have been really responsive to saying, okay, well, if that's where we're going, how do we need to shift our functionality to support users to get the kind of information they need out of the purpose of a quality measurement and improvement system, which is, of course, improvement. And Aaron, do you have, um, as many other states do, the QRIS? Yeah, so it's not quite new. Uh, Virginia has had a longstanding optional QRIS, like most states, called Virginia Quality. This is a very revised version of that. It's actually been added to state law that all programs taking public funds uh, eventually participate in our new quality system. Just to make it a little more confusing, we're calling that VQB5 with the intentional connection back to Link B5. So the, the VQB5 system is a very exciting addition for Virginia. It is our, our new non-optional quality measurement and improvement system. Uh, we are starting practice year one of this next year. We have two practice years before everybody is required to participate. Uh, you know, really with the intention to engage communities, bring them along with us as we go. And Link B5 is the centerpiece of the VQB5 system. So it is via Link B5 that we will be collecting the information that results in the measurement rating um, and improvement strategies for all of our publicly funded Birth to Five programs. When we began the Link B5 system, we did have this concept in mind that this is where Link B5 would be headed, but I don't think we had all of the details worked out. We certainly didn't know what we would be measuring, and we certainly didn't know how we would be measuring it. Um, and so having a really flexible partner in this data system like UVA has been really important to that. Well, that sounds like it's been a great partnership, and I love the kind of agile way you have approached this work to really meet the needs of the state as those state needs evolve. 
And so I think you've mentioned what you're hoping to do with this data as you move from the data kind of collection information into more of the use. And those are, those are really kind of concrete examples. If other states were going to kind of learn from this, what advice would you have about how this information could be used, especially around quality and access? Sure. So I think something that's been really important to our success and something that we're very fortunate to have is a really strong partner in building this system. So we knew right off the bat, and I'm sure other folks in state government could relate, that uh, building the system with a university partner, building the system with somebody with this expertise was going to be certainly faster and maybe a more successful relationship to begin with. And so we were very excited when UVA was interested in partnering with us on this project. Of course, the risk of that is if you don't have a strong partner, it can be really hard to be as agile and to be as flexible and responsive. And so I think, you know, we have really benefited by having a strong communication structure between UVA and the Virginia Department of Education. We've really benefited by being aligned on a vision and the bigger goals and purpose for this project from the beginning you know, having UVA deeply involved in the development of our needs assessment and our strategic plan, even when it maybe didn't seem like there was an obvious connection to how that was going to feed into Link B5 was really important because then we all began with the same strong understanding of what the state needed, of what our stakeholders had told us, and can be operating from the same set of shared beliefs and goals when we make those everyday decisions that can sometimes be where two partners diverge and have to, you know, reconcile later on. I think that's allowed us to move pretty quickly and efficiently as we've made it through the everyday challenges that come with with building something this ambitious. Yeah, I would I think the things that Aaron point to have been critical to what the state is getting out of the system, to the sense of agile partnership through it, but and and so I think what's also helpful maybe to reflect on from the academic side and the academic partnership side is, to me, this is a very unique model of academic partnership in a way that is extremely rewarding and and to watch it unfold and to really be at the helm of the day-to-day influence of our team's voice at the table, understanding the state's needs and how that strategy is evolving and how we can support it. A lot of times, I think in the academic policy partnership realm, there is more distance, even though you're in you're in the data, maybe with a state or you're at the table to answer some critical questions or to provide an evaluation. But I've started to use the term embedded scholarship. Uh, you know, this is really an, a type of partnership, at least for me and for for what I hear of other colleagues doing this work that that really puts you in the day-to-day. So you're understanding the mindset, the shifts, especially in a time of change where there can be rapid shifts in what's needed or, or how things evolve. And I think that's been critical to ensuring that the system always stays focused on you know, what's the mission, how will these data be used, what questions will we want to answer, even as it adjusts you know, in its mechanics to the different strategies and the evolving policies. And that is a really unique and I think powerful way of partnering between an academic and, and government institution. How does 
that gets sustained. So you have mentioned multiple times that this is all through the work of PDGB5, which is great. I have another year of funding. What is the what does the future look like beyond PDG5 for this work and the partnership that you all have established? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we are a hundred percent committed to continuing Link B5 into the future. I think one of our, our biggest questions remains, and this is something that we just don't quite know the answer to yet, but one of our biggest questions is, you know, does this system live forever with UVA? Does the system eventually transfer to be owned and operated by the Virginia Department of Education? I think we are committed to finding sustaining funding for this system no matter where it is. So I I do not imagine that that's purely a financial decision. I think it's a a strategic one and a, a practical one that will be based on what the Virginia Department of Education is able to do versus, you know, how how the connections are possible or possibly not possible with this being an external system. You know, I mentioned earlier some of the benefits of working with a partner external to state government, but of course there are also challenges, right? Anytime we want to share data, there's an extra layer of complexity, and that's putting it quite lightly. Or anytime we want to incorporate this into another state agency, it's another extra layer of complexity. And so, you know, these are all considerations that we will continue to think through as we go forward. But I I am confident that Link B5 is here to stay in some capacity. Yeah, and I think on our side, at least from my lens of of an academic partnership, there's room for that to evolve as as it needs. You know, it's not a business where an academic partner interested in answering questions, supporting the state, having impact through the tools of data and research. So there's models and other projects that have a sustained service component to the state to sustain it and then layer in, of course, the capacity to help look at questions, answer the data, use what has been built together. And then there's other models where, you know, that may shift given what Aaron just articulated. But I think that's another aspect of the particular of an academic and government partnership in this type of work versus sort of a business where there might be more tension around letting that evolve as it needs to. And that seems like a really great benefit to have folks who really understand how data can interact, the use of it with a state partnership that really understands what the needs are and can help to define what the information needs are over time. So... Well, I want to thank you both so much. This has been extremely informative. I'm sure others are going to really uh, gain a lot of kind of knowledge from the experience you've both had as a team and a partnership. We know many states are really interested in this idea of working with their university partners, and this is just gives some really good concrete examples today. So thank you both for your time and for sharing your experience. Thank you, Missy. Thank you, Missy. Thanks for listening to the EC DataWorks podcast. Produced with support from the Heising Simons Foundation. Find more episodes on your favorite podcast app, on SoundCloud, or at ecdwcommunity.org.